ladies and gentlemen, we give you the Basset Hound. Hello, all you happy people. You know what? I'm the hero. Or at least as popular culture has it, when Tex Avery created Droopy Dog for MGM's cartoon division in the 1940s, he needed a breed that screamed caricature. The Basset Hound was low-hanging fruit. The Basset's long ears and muzzle, its many wrinkles, and its low carriage might convince anyone that its breeders threw proportion out the window. Her large, wide-set, and yes, droopy eyes create a perpetual why-me expression, all of which comprises the central casting checklist for a slow, lethargic clown. Hence the Basset Hound's appearance in comics and film from Smokey and the Bandit to Columbo. On July 1st, 1956, a Basset Hound named Sherlock got his big break on the Steve Allen Show. record hit, I, I predict it's going to be one because I've heard you rehearse it. You're going to record it tomorrow called Hound Dog. I got you a very cute little hound dog right here. And away you go. Who's that? You ain't nothing but a hound dog out came Sherlock, wheeled in on a raised platform, his trademark face accented by a dog-sized top hat. Everyone was amused, including the king. By no means is this canine body shaming confined to hounds. Pop culture is rife with portrayals of big, dopey sheepdogs, milk-toast chihuahuas, and snobby high-society poodles, most of which tend to miss the true personality of a breed, and moreover, the very deliberate reason why so many breeds look and move and act the way they do. So often, pop culture gets a breed wrong, or worse, it gets it only half right. Now, as for Droopy Dog, sure, Tex Avery made him slow and lethargic. Yet, at a crucial moment in each story, Droopy is also imbued with superpowers, turning on super speed to win races, foil criminals, outwit overconfident rivals, and, uh, you know, uh, win the girl. Though Basset Hound fanciers may trifle over the specifics there's a kernel of truth in this. That's because there are remarkable practical reasons for the Basset's shape, its long ears, its wrinkles, and even those droopy eyes. The features that make it a source of comic relief actually make it a super-sniffing marvel of canine engineering. I'm Bud Bacone. Join me as we turn foibles into features and reveal the function behind the form in the breed's you thought you knew. It's not the dog that needs training, but the owner. I am 50% pointer. There it is, there it is, there it is. The American Kennel Club. Lady <laughs> boy. Toto too, Toto too. And of course, Lassie. Down and back. Stories from the AKC Archives. With Bud Bacone. 
All right, settle down, take your seats. Here, Mr. Bacone. Oh, well, thanks. Mmm, milk bone. Before we get into the Basset Hound, we need to go to school for a moment. I thought this was going to be a fun podcast. Before we get into form follows function, we need to understand this phrase. Breed, E not A, standard. For each breed, there is a detailed written description of a never-to-be-achieved perfect specimen. These documents are maintained by breed-specific national AKC organizations designated as parent clubs. Standards describe the physical and mental traits dogs require to do the work for which they were bred, whether the job is herding a flock, tracking a criminal, or chasing a rabbit. Dog show judges use these standards to form a mental prototype of whichever breed they are evaluating. Now, at dog shows, it's pretty common for the uninitiated to ask, how can the judge possibly compare the tiny Yorkie to that huge Newfoundland? That's where breed standards come in. The judge doesn't compare the little lap dog to the mighty working dog. He compares each to his concept of the breed's ideal, formulated after close study of the standard. Josh, is she here yet? Nope. Sorry, bud. Okay. Then uh, let's revisit the Basset Hound in a form follows function, AKC breed biography. The name Basset derives from the French word bas, meaning low, as in B-A-S, as opposed to humbug. Her short legs keep her nose closer to the ground for scenting and keep her moving at a pace where humans can easily follow on foot. To bear the burden of that nose-down work position, a Basset hound carries up to two-thirds of its weight on its front legs, with curved upper arms that wrap around and under the ribcage, forming two pedestals under its front torso. Its tail, as with many breeds, helps provide balance. Fun fact, humans have about five million scent receptors in their noses. There are dog breeds that have 20 times that. To optimize that process, the Basset's long, floppy ears and wrinkles gather air towards its extra-wide nose, making full use of her neural olfactory network. Her appearance today owes a debt to the work of late 19th-century breeders who outcrossed Bassets with beagles and bloodhounds. What's more, the Basset Hound carries the perfect attitude. Tireless as a scenting dog, it's also an excellent companion. Quoted in 2006, breeder Ruth Paul notes that the Basset owns its family more than the reverse and is the consummate entertainer. When she does something that makes people laugh, she'll do it again and be very pleased with herself. Movement is a vital consideration in dog sports. Here in the AKC Library and Archive, there are, yes, literally, dozens of writings on the way different breeds move. And because different breeds take on very different tasks, no two move exactly alike. Here in County Cork, you can take a lesson from that fella there. And right on cue, the Irish setter. As he takes off, 
You can see how the hindquarters are the engine that powers him. The forequarters, while offering little propulsion, carry at least 60% of a dog's weight and take the impact of landing when a dog jumps or runs. Vital to its locomotion are its paw pads. Thick pads absorb more shock and increase endurance. Rough pads allow for better traction and quick turns. Paws and pasterns, that's the canine version of the wrist, work together to absorb the shock of jumping and running while ensuring flexible movement. The way a dog uses all that machinery to move says a lot about its original purpose and place of origin. Irish huntsmen bred the sleek, rangy Irish setter to move freely and swiftly on Ireland's wide, flat meadows. Now, cross the Irish Sea, then take a left to the Scottish Highlands. Here, hunters and their dogs had the same objective on decidedly different geography. Unlike the Irish, the Scots needed a setter who could flush and retrieve on rocky, punishing terrain. Racing headlong across the highlands could injure the feet and legs of the dog, to say nothing of the hunters. Thus was bred the Gordon Setter, a shorter-coupled, heavier-bodied dog with a more deliberate but steady pace. Seen moving side by each, the difference in these setters' gates is easy to spot, just as you'd spot purpose-bred differences in the movements of a golden retriever compared to its cousin, the Labrador. Once you understand the reasons different types of dogs have been bred, you can begin to understand why, for instance, there are 30 different recognized breeds of terriers. Hello? Why are there 30 different breeds of terriers? Ah, good question. Why are there Airedale Terriers, Bedlingtons, Irish, Kerry Blue Terriers, Lakelands, Norfolks, American Staffordshire Terriers, Miniature Bull Terriers, and one, two, three, eight, twenty-two others, including the Dandy Dinmont? Of the Terrier Group's 30 breeds, all except the Miniature Schnauzer and Chesky Terrier were developed in the British Isles or in former English colonies. The group is informally divided into three subgroups, short-legged, long-legged, and bull types. For centuries, farmers used dogs against rodents and other burrowing mammals that devastated grain stores, raided hen houses, tore up fields, dug away riverbanks, and carried disease. Short-legged terriers, such as the Westie, are often called earth dogs. They were built small and flexible enough to pursue quarry into underground lairs, but with jaws and forequarters of sufficient strength to hold and dispatch a recalcitrant rat. They had to be smart, and because handlers don't fit down rat holes, they had to be independent workers with keen eyes and a loud, relentless bark to announce their progress to the waiting farmer. They needed to be fearless and persistent. Among all terriers, coat type depends on the climate and terrain of their home turf. The terriers of Scotland, for instance, all have hard or wiry coats to protect them from the notoriously harsh conditions of the highlands. Long Lake Terriers are also exterminators, but with a different MO. Rather than squeeze into holes, they stay above ground and excavate their prey. Hence their straight legs with feet pointing directly forward. 
When they dig, they throw the earth back under the body and through their spread rear legs, where their short-legged cousins have feet that toe out, allowing them to throw earth to the side. The leggy terriers, being larger and rangier than the short-legged, could work on bigger quarry like uh, badgers and foxes. Their size also made them more versatile when not controlling pests. Such breeds as Airedale and Lakeland Terriers were expected to fill downtime with herding, guarding, retrieving, or other chores. Frugal farmers appreciated a dog that can do many chores but with one mouth to feed. Now, a bull terrier doesn't look like a dandy Dinmont, and neither can be mistaken for an Airedale. But we can make general assumptions about most terrier group breeds. Created to do dangerous work alone, with no direction from a human handler, terriers are independent, a bit stubborn, and often courageous and enthusiastic to the point of recklessness. The trade term is terrier fire. They can be barky, enjoy digging, and are liable to bolt after quick-moving critters at the drop of a cat. Generations of breeding demand such behavior. The good news. Fiery terriers can be trained and socialized to be good neighbors and trustworthy pets. Training them takes time, patience, and an understanding of what motivates them. Oh, and having a sense of humor won't hurt. Is she here yet, Josh? Mm-mm. Sorry, bud. Okay, then let's head to the archive. Though the dachshund is technically in the hound group, it might be called an honorary terrier. Translated from German, Doc means badger, and Hund is dog, hence badger dog, which tells you most everything you and any given badger needs to know. The dachshund was bred to enthusiastically dig his way into a badger's den to hunt them. His long and low body made this job easier for him than for other dogs. Badger dogs go all the way back to the 1400s, and the doxy as a specific breed has been around since the 1600s. In the World War I era, they became known as Liberty Hounds, so as not to stir anti-German sentiment. Perhaps they're partial to freedom fries. To meet a really marvelous purpose-bred dog, you can always come here to the cliffs of the Norwegian island of Vare. All those colorful parrot-like birds dotting the cliffs, those would be puffins, or lunda as they call them here. For centuries, Norwegians coveted them, pickling them for winter. Don't knock it till you tried it. And though reputedly yummy, the Lunda are, for humans, elusive, flying easily from one clifftop to another. So Norwegian breeders went to work developing the Lundahund, or Puffin Dog, the master of the canine free solo. For centuries you could see them here, with wide-set paws extending sideways from its body, scaling sheer cliffs. At the end of those seemingly contorted front legs are paws with six toes and eight pads to grip the rock. Those extra digits consist of one three-jointed toe, like a thumb, and one two-jointed toe. Its rear paws with seven pads serve as downhill brakes, and its elastic neck allows it to crane its head backwards far enough to touch its spine. 
its ears fold like origami, shutting if needed to protect against wind and dirt, which comes in handy when wiggling through puffin caves. Now, as you might guess, a dog made to master sheer cliffs can be peculiar to watch on level ground, where her unusual gait might remind you of a tipsy uncle trying to dance to nine-inch nails at your cousin's wedding. Stories of the Lunderhund appear in 16th century writings. In the 18th century, hunters began using nets to capture puffins, putting the Lunderhund out of work. By 1960, there were just six left in the world, five of them from the same mother. In the decades since, careful preservation breeding has rescued this friendly athletic cliff climber back from the brink of extinction. Now, it's worth mentioning that these specific physical traits are but one aspect of the purpose-bred dog, just as important is matching the breed's temperament and personality to their job. Case in point, the little captain... The Shipper Key. When the Black Plague wiped out half of Europe in the 14th century, rat catching became a noble and urgent vocation. Subsequently, a small, powerful crewmate became a fixture on Belgian barges. Curious, lively, and intense, but mischievous, the little black dog is a robust, long-lived companion for whom there is never a dull moment. A 2001 article in the AKC Gazette noted, if he were a drink, he'd be espresso. If he were an actor, he'd be Pacino. Shipperkey, from the Flemish phrase meaning the little captain, quickly stuck. Many believe he was bred from herding dogs, others from the spits. Either way, his pound-for-pound athleticism, work ethic, and cat-like hunting style have made him an exceptional watchdog and hunter. With bonus points for fearlessness, the Gazette article also cited a story of a grizzly bear approaching a young boy whose family lived on the edge of the Alaskan wilderness. Right on cue, the family shipperkey streaked in from nowhere and drove the bear back into the woods. Which brings us to one breed we don't need to go and find. Hey, Bud, look, there she is. Because she'll find us. The sleuth dog and basset hound antecedent, the bloodhound. I knew she'd find me from the handkerchief I dropped in Wyoming in the fall of 2019. I'm only kind of sort of kidding. This reigning monarch of scenting hounds dates back to antiquity and perfected in Western Europe about a thousand years ago. It's believed that English aristocracy first used them as manhunters to track poachers and thieves. One theory on the name is that they were one of the first dogs bred from known bloodlines, thus blooded hounds. From our Basset Hound description, you know that the wrinkles, the long ears, and the dewlap, which hangs from the neck, are designed to gather scents toward its wide nose. Meanwhile, her powerful legs and frame make her the perfect all-terrain vehicle, driving her tenaciously until she locates the source of a scent. Her lower eyelids even slide upwards to protect her eyes from injury as she moves with her nose to the ground. 
No technology can duplicate her scenting ability. And testimony of a bloodhound's findings is acceptable in almost any court. Think of it this way. Imagine you're walking downtown among thousands of people. And in that crowd, you spot someone you know. Hi. Oh, hey there. Well, that's what the bloodhound does, but with her nose. An AKC Gazette piece from 1928 profiled the bloodhounds handled by one Captain V.G. Mulliken of Lexington, Kentucky, known as the greatest bloodhound detective in America. His dogs were credited with more than 2,500 captures, and the star of his pack was a hound named Nick Carter, after a dime novel detective. You post-war old Dutch cleanser, famous for chasing dirt, present... Nick Carter, famous for chasing crime. Mulliken related one true crime story. Someone had gone on a spree, throwing rocks through the windows of homes in Petersburg, Indiana. No clues, no leads. Thither came Captain Mulliken and his dogs. A rock was recovered from one of the homes and given to the hounds to scent. The hounds led him from the first damaged house to the second, then to the third, and eventually every house that had been damaged. From that last house, they sniffed a mile and a half out of town into the country to the home of the two guilty lads whose crime was promptly confessed. By then, the trail was more than 25 hours old. The closer you look at the purpose-bred dog, the more you appreciate why libraries are filled with volumes about noses and tails, ears and toes, gait, coat, and personality. The purpose-bred dog is a four-legged masterpiece, granted some more Picasso than Leonardo. So the next time you see a, air quotes, funny-looking dog, consider why that is you might just discover that an apparent quirk actually serves some marvelous purpose. That beyond that sweet face often lies superhuman skills. And that a clown... I'm the hero. ...isn't always a clown. Down and Back. Stories from the AKC Archives. Visit akc.org to learn more about all things dog and find bonus materials for this episode. Follow the AKC on Instagram at American Kennel Club. On Twitter at AKC Dog Lovers. And let us know what you thought of the show. Founded in 1884, many dog years ago, the American Kennel Club is the recognized and trusted expert in breeds, health, and training. We advocate for responsible dog ownership and are dedicated to advancing dog sports. Research for Down and Back provided by the AKC Library and Archives, the only national repository dedicated to the sport and enjoyment of the purebred dog. Learn more about the collections at akc.org library. No humans were harmed while making this show.